This is episode number 133 of the Rising Man podcast with Daniel Eisenman. Fortune favors the bold. Blessings and good rising to you, Rising Man family. Jetty Azuma here, bringing you another installment of the Rising Man podcast. If you guys have only been here for the first time or you haven't gotten to know me yet, I am the host of this show as well as the founder of the Rising Man movement. And what is the Rising Man movement? We are about initiating an entire generation of men into purposeful leadership and power. And what that means is maybe different for every man, but we're committed to creating a network of men who know what it means to embrace their medicine, to identify what are the unique gifts that we have to give to the world, and then to turn around and give them back to our communities, making a better planet for our future. That's what we're about here. That's what Rising Man is all about. And for you guys who've been around for a while, or if you're just getting privy to the Rising Man message and our mission, then I invite you, I invite you to step in, take another step into the deep end, into the layers of what Rising Man has to offer. Whether that's joining our online network of men all across the world, our virtual men's fire circles, and stepping into your own team, getting some practical on the job leadership skills and opportunities to connect and collaborate with other men. Or if you want to step deeper into the fire and be on a team with me for a season, you can be a part of our Inferno squad that rolls out about every six to 12 weeks. And also we have our men's initiations called Compass, our four-day fast out in the wilderness to help you get clarity around your purpose, why you're here, and what you're capable of. So many opportunities, so many ways for you to step further into this Rising Man journey. All of them are available at risingman.org. Go check it out today. All right, our guest for today is a returning guest. He's been on here before, probably about a year and a half ago. Daniel Eisenman graduated pre-med from Emory University with a BS in biology and even took the MCAT about 10 years ago. Before applying to medical school, he decided to take a year off. That year off turned into a decade of breaking normal adventures throughout all 50 states and 20 countries. A self-proclaimed solar-powered, Jesus-loving, polar-plunging, modern-day nomad, a speaker, facilitator, retreat host, and coach who travels the world in pursuit of radical health and abundance. He's the author of the book, Breaking Normal, Rewind Your Inner Child and Set the Truth Free, and co-founder of International Tribe Design. He's an overall extraordinary human making major waves in the modern world for sure. I'm so glad that we got to drop in again, especially at this juncture. In this episode, we discuss what it means to break normal and how that can be applied to this new normal that everyone's talking about right now. We talked about looking to nature for wisdom, seeing the perfect design of the natural world, and using those reflections to understand the breakdowns of humanity. We discussed Dunbar's number and the hundredth monkey, scientific studies that suggest that we are optimized for smaller societies and communal living. And last but not least, Daniel and I riffed on our thoughts about community, collaborative lifestyle, and living our greatest lives together as a tribe. Without further ado, Daniel Eisenman. Rising Man family, I got another returning guest, a brother of mine, Mr. Daniel Eisenman coming in. Where is it in Colorado you are right now? Right now I'm with a friend in South Denver. Actually, she's been on my podcast. We had the same divorce date, believe it or not, the same uh-huh. exact divorce date, time, space, and place um, when we've become oh. friends. So I'm there. I'm her, at her place right now, but I am residing between Golden and Boulder, Colorado. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Yeah, it's definitely a place I got to get out to and visit. And and just before we actually hit record, we were already starting to get deep into some conversations about communal living and collaborative lifestyles. So let's start off with the the elephant that's not so much of an elephant in the room right now, that this new normal. I know your whole thing is breaking normal. So what what is your perspective and read on this new normal that everyone starts talking about? Okay, well, firstly, I do... Th- I tend to lean towards the idea that there's a massive beta testing going on of people in power to see what they can get the masses to comply, comply to. Uh-huh. So I, I believe that's what's going on. Mm. I'm not saying it's one weird, evil person planning that, but there does seem to be a litmus test going right now of our culture of who are the sheeple and who are the sovereign ones and mm. what are the percentages and what are the sovereign ones willing to do to fight for their freedom? Yeah. I, I tend to lean towards you with that too. Cause it's funny. There's a lot of people who think there's like one devilish person who's masterminding this whole experience that we're having. It's kind of funny when you actually think about it uh, of, of one person kind of sitting there like the emperor from star Wars mm-hmm. or something like that. 
But I, I agree with you because of the inconsistencies in the communication that's happening on a massive scale right now. It seems like it's too too sloppy to be to be authentic, at least in my opinion. Yeah, that's and, a really um, cool and interesting point. What I always immediately remembered is, I don't know if you ever heard of this guy named Lee Strobel, who was like an investigative journalist who tried as the atheist to try to prove Christianity wrong. Uh-huh. And one of the things he ran, he'd stumbled upon was like, the Bible is so contradictory. Yes. This, it's like, how could one person plan this? This is kind of, if someone, this is sort of sloppy, almost exactly. And, and that's what intrigued him more. He was like, wow, maybe there wasn't like a mastermind of Illuminati sorts trying to brainwash people. Maybe there is a true Jesus that people had different ver- like different perspectives of. And, and anyways, yeah. 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 It, there is, I agree. I, I, I think the systems can get out of control just based on physics and entropy. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I think there is a chaos going on right now that's clarifying a lot about about the weirdness of the culture that we find ourselves in and how weird are we allowed? I mean, how much are we going to tolerate? Yeah, well, that's the thing. And that's, are you familiar with the hundredth monkey and that whole Man, so I've heard about it, but I would love to hear about it from you. And I imagine because that'd be cool for me and others. And thank you. You know, you introduced me. Thank you for having me on the podcast again. It's a real honor. I really enjoy our communication. And I feel like you're an ally because of technology. We're connected in this unique way. And I'm very excited when we become in person together and see what happens. Likewise, man. Thank you for pausing to do that. I, I feel the same way. And that actually relates to this concept of the hundredth monkey, because at least the way I remember the story is that there was these monkeys that were living on an island. And there was sweet potatoes on this island. But what would happen is the sweet potatoes would get covered in sand and the monkeys wouldn't want to eat them because they were covered in sand. But one day the scientists observed that one of these monkeys figured out he could wash the sweet potato off and then eat it. And little by little, other monkeys started to watch this monkey do that. And eventually all of the monkeys, after I don't know how many generations of monkeys it was, they were all doing this. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is, is that Another island nearby that was completely isolated from this one had the same species of monkeys, but they had no contact with each other. But around the same time that all the monkeys started to do it on one island, the monkeys on the other island began to adopt that. Mm. And so it's, it's a little bit of this sort of spiritual, mystic, inexplicable science of how, how did these monkeys do that? But the, the idea is that we reach a point of, of truth that becomes uniform, that, that, that we all subscribe to and that, all, that we all either energetically or something gets activated in our DNA that we all buy into. And, and this concept was introduced to me in the spirit of, of rites of passage and the need for initiation when it comes to boys in our communities that aren't getting initiated into manhood. So that was like the, the connection between that story. But I see that similar thing happening now where it seems like as things are getting shaken up in our society and these social political constructs are starting to become more wobbly, there's a momentum gathering against that. And, and also a lot of people have time to think more about this because they're not working. They're sitting at home and getting fed up with the way life is created for us. Yeah. I mean, to synchronously follow this, my friend Tyson recently recommended a book from an author named Tyson, and I believe it's called Sand Talk. I've recently started listening to it. Sand Talk, How Indigenous Cultures Can Save the World. I believe that's Mm -hmm. the subtitle. And it's um, from an indigenous, like a uh, Aboriginal guy in Australia who's studying indigenous cultures. And he definitely believes that our world deserves and our education system deserves more metaphors so that we can understand spirit because that is how spirit is understood. So I totally appreciate you opening this communication with this monkey metaphor. And is this a, an, based on an actual case study too? Is that I'm understanding? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't remember. I don't remember who or where it came from, but it was a story that was shared for, with one of my teachers and yeah, there's like science behind it. They were these scientists observing this phenomenon. Well, one that I heard today on that book and I'm looking at honeybees. I mean, there's so many, so much we can learn from colonies and, and pods of dolphins and prides of lions and packs of wolves because civilization historically crumbles. And I think mm-hmm. we're seeing like Babylon falling before our eyes right now. And right. it's a very unique time to be alive. But one of the metaphors in that book today was that he was talking about how there's a certain species of ant and larvae that basically when the larvae becomes too large, the 
to feed itself, the ant starts feeding it. And when then, then that eventually becomes a butterfly. And when they scientists try to reverse engineer this system, they don't even understand. There's no way a human could have thought of this itself. Hmm. So there are organic things. There's organic things arising right now in our culture. And I think the, the way showers and the influencers and the leaders are going to be the ones that are probably organically co-creating a new culture together that I'm very excited about. And hmm. ironically enough, the other side of that coin is pretty freaking scary what's going on mm. or with uh, many humans that I know and things that I've seen recently out in public. It's pretty crazy times. Yeah. Well, one, one more metaphor, then we can ground this a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's another it's another monkey one. I guess I've got monkeys on my mind today. This is another scientific thing that I've read somewhere. I can't remember where, but in, in observing chimpanzees in the wild, that they they have these communities, these, you know, I guess it's synonymous with what a pride of lions would be. I don't know what they call a group of chimpanzees, but they observe that the groups or the families of, of chimps, they never get larger than 80 or 100 of the chimps. And then there's a there's a, an event that happens if they become bigger than that, where it's almost like a civil war, so to speak, where there's a there's a fracturing of the community and they go their separate ways because they literally can't function as a as a as a as a micro society in numbers that are larger than that. And I've, I, I can't remember when I heard that, but that made the experience that we're having as humans make so much sense that we literally can't have a few people thousands of miles away governing people that they've never even met, you know, and then making decisions for the whole global community. That's even, that's even more absurd in my opinion. So I think what we're seeing and something that you and I both share is this consolidation of, of community, like a regathering of peoples of like values of like mindset who can govern themselves by being in relationship with land and with, you know, the earth and all of the, all the other elements and starting from that point. So Tell me what you think about that. Oh man, well, I definitely <laughs> going to bounce back more metaphors because I really do believe we're speaking, we're we're dancing with spirit right now. I think, and mm-hmm. I guess this is the way I want to sh- keep bouncing back with you for now with these different metaphors of animals that have succeeded forever. I want to talk about the bees, and then you mentioned what I've heard you talking about with this eighty to one hundred monkeys was what I've heard about with humans called Dunbar's number. When tribes basically exceeded the number of around one hundred and fifty, mm-hmm. this is where culture, civilization, and myth was born, because it became too much for the human brain to personally know over one hundred and fifty people. So, like, yeah. I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't care if you're white, what your ancestors did, anything about you. If I lived with you, I would know. But I want to know about you right now. I want to know your secrets. I want to know what you're good at. I want to know what to watch out for with you. I want to know to know your patterns and the safety. Mm-hmm. But eventually when it became too many people to keep track of in that type of manner, like a tribal manner, it was like, oh, well, what God do you believe in? Oh, what color skin are you in? Or now it's like, what sports team do you, are you rooting for? What government are you rooting for? Are you a Democrat or Republican? And now we have the internet to spread these ideas for different, I, like it's now that people are leveraging the internet to get more and more people part of their civilization or their culture or their group think. And that's what people are fighting Mm -hmm. for. It's like divided and conquering ourselves in a way. And maybe I don't know exactly why that's happening, but it seems to be. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the same time, what do bees do? How do bees, like I've been studying bees lately. And when a colony, which is roughly the size of a human brain, Mm -hmm. changes its home, two to 5% of the bees known as scout bees go and look for new places for the colony to live. They come back and report what they found. They go into the cavity. It's usually like a hole in the tree or a hole in the log or the ground. They walk. First of all, they go almost every square inch. They walk it. They come back. They report what they found through a dance, through a waggle dance. I think that's kind of cool, like true news through dancing. That's kind of a fun idea. And no other bee will report to any other bee what information they saw unless they go see it themselves. So it's like bees don't gossip. (laughs) They only... (laughs) They and, and what I think is going on with the internet, especially there's so much gossip going on, so much convoluted gossip that if someone's depending on that news to to do to believe what they're supposed to do next, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So mm. I think we need to first of all only believe. I I truly I I tend to only talk about things I've experienced myself. So I, I already believe mm-hmm. in the beat code in a way. Like I need to start looking within. It's time for me to look within for what's the truth because the outside is chaos. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, here we go bouncing back and forth again, man. Synchronicities. I was just sitting in ceremony two weekends ago now 
it was a peyote meeting and my, you know, this is one of my teachers, the chief who was presiding over the ceremony. He spoke about that and he I landed so hard for me that every time I hear the word gossip now, I think about this. He said, gossip is a colonial concept. Gossip is not something that tribal societies ever did. Because like you said, they, there were no secrets. And if there were secrets, they eventually got rooted out because of the high level of communication and intimacy that these smaller networks of people had. And that was the reason that they were able to survive and thrive for so many years. You know, aside from the things that we see on the surface, we know that more ancient peoples were more resourceful. They, they didn't, con they weren't a consumerist society. They, they only took what they needed. That, that's the stuff that everybody knows now. But the, the deeper layers that there was, there was such clear communication. And when there was a disturbance or a disruption in the community, everybody gathered around that. They didn't talk about it and chat about it and play the game of telephone so that all the facts got distorted. They lit a fire. They had a council. They sat around it and, and got to the bottom of it. And now, I mean, you go all the way to the top of our leadership, our political structures. It's all based on gossip and deception and crosstalk and bad-mouthing people. It's, it's like completely backwards. And we, we, can't, we can't continue to function that way. And I love what you said about letting the internal start to guide us. That the things we learned in school, the things we read in textbooks, the things we hear on TV, especially that not letting those things dictate what's true to us. I think I, think I spent a time where I just completely removed myself from all that because I was like, there's nothing for me here. And at this point, I'm, I, I tap into it enough to hear what they're saying, but there's a much bigger filter for me around what I actually believe to be true. Because if I can't see it, if I can't put my hands on it, then how do I even, how can I trust it? Yeah, man. I mean, for what you're saying about the, how the tribes communicated and the intimacy and the, just the high level of communication is exactly what international tribe design, the event company that was birthed in Kauai years ago. And we've done 15 of them now is based on, and it's exactly about that, how to get this group in synergy as much as possible. Like if we were sent on the craziest mission, if we have to go to Mars, we have to climb Mount Everest, what needs to be addressed right mm -hmm. now? And we had a lot of talks around fires about that. And then we did things to process it and a lot of dancing, a lot of breathing, a lot of time in nature, a lot of bioenergetics, a lot of that. So I so resonate. I, I love that you are mm -hmm. sharing that. And I, I mean, it sounds like you're connected to some really wise community elders. Mm -hmm. So respect, however, that's, uh, you're exuding that. I think it's really cool. And I want to, I want to design a tribe with you. I mean, I want to do one of these events with you. <laughs> you want to, oh, yeah, we got to put, put this in the plans. That's what that brings up for me. And I think that's what we're doing right now. We're having, we're having this conversation out loud for the people that are willing to tune in and has an idea to contribute for us to transcend the current chaos that might be around us. Please contribute, speak up. To me, it's not about a sage on a stage anymore. It's not about the lights, mm -hmm. camera angles. It's about us getting in a place where we can all see each other and all feel each other, remembering a future that's better, that's better for us and the future generations. Because if someone, like, yeah, if we don't step in, if more people are not stepping in faster, it seems like chaos is getting close to taking over. Sure, sure. And, and you know, in my personal experience, I, I, I'm always checking myself on how am I, how am I unconsciously contributing to that? You know, even, I've even questioned at times having a podcast and having a virtual network of men, because in my heart of hearts, I want to do what you, like before we started recording, you said, yeah, dude, I, I prefer doing these in person. Like, yeah, me too. I prefer sitting around a fire with men in person. And when that's not available to us, then we use the tools and resources that we have. But at the same time, going back to what we were saying before, what you said about Dunbar's number, that's not really how we're, go at least in my opinion, that's not really how we're going to turn the ship around. So at least the framework that I put it in that works for me is the internet, podcast, the whole virtual digital realm is all about sharing information that's going to get us all seeing the world in a similar way so that, that we can then start to, I guess, condense or contract back into these intimate networks of people. I don't, I don't think that global community in the sense where we're never going to get everybody on the same page. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like the same thing people. about the bee colonies. Bee colonies thrive because they're the size they are. Once they exceed a certain number, they become just the same thing with monkeys. Can you imagine right. if all the bees were in one, like all on the same exact schedule? They could, so dangerous. So it's like, the, yeah. it's like a monocrop. It's like a monocrop garden versus a, a biodiverse permaculture plot. 
So yeah, I think we are going back to that. We are going back to like, I like local, local, like, you know, there's, I can get so many products from people that are local to me. That's a step. I mean, just getting more in touch because if people just drift into where culture is taking them, it's becoming really scary of how much reality is just becoming like a screen, a screen they're Mm. looking at. And I, yeah, I'd rather us realize that we can, the observer effect, I, I enjoy understanding the observer effect more and more every day. And that mm-hmm. the screen is up to me, but if I don't make it up to me, then it might, I might fall into, into this weird, this weird thing, this weird system that's out of control or whatever's happening. And it's normal. It's normal. The new normal, like I don't know why people thrive to be normal, normal, you know, my grandparents survived the Holocaust. I think they probably didn't, they weren't normal. I think they understood they lived under a graveyard and started a potato garden for the, for those people that lived in Germany. If I, at my age, it might've been normal for me to be a Nazi, like their murder, like a genocide, rape, all these crazy things based. If someone was born in a certain culture, it would be very normal for them. So I don't think it's time to thrive to be normal. I think it's, like time to thrive, to look within. And if, it, if, if my truth is different than what they're telling me is a new normal, then that new normal is not my truth. Right. At all. Yeah. Uh-huh. And when I, when I think of that word normal, I think of another word that's synonymous with, I think of ordinary. And, and you, when you think about it that way, it's like, how many people want to be ordinary? Is that, is that something that we strive for is to, is to just be ordinary. And, that, and that's not to, that's not to diminish any of the, of the actions that people are doing. There's a lot of hardworking people out there who are taking care of their families. And that, that that's relatively ordinary because there's so many people who have that shared experience. But I think it's more about the way by which you live and lead your life and, and the things that you choose to believe and what you choose to invest value in energetically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, all that stuff too. So how do we, how do we go about breaking that normal, that, that normal conditioning that we have? What is the, well, I think it's like this conversation is helping. I believe it's helping me and you and anyone that's listening to it to even look deeper into this because another quote from the book, Santoff that I remembered today was if to find the, the deep, like the biggest thinkers, if you want to find the biggest thinkers in the world, go to a public school system and go into the detention center. Mm. And, and this is what, how do you do How do we break normal? First of all, I think it's, it's helpful, like any type of growth is first awareness, then acceptance, and then action. So I think mm-hmm. it's helpful to be aware that like education is very similar to domestication. Mm-hmm. And like preachers, teachers, and parents have been indoctrinated into the idea for a long time to fit in, to fit in mm-hmm. for the safety. I mean, it could have gone all the way down to our tribal roots of like fitting in was for our own safety. But that's no longer the case because we're in an out of control, chaotic civilization that's obviously crumbling. And it's time to accept how, how was I normalized? I mean, I was circumcised day eight because Jewish culture, I, I broke, I'm breaking, if I ever have a son, I'm not, no one's cutting my son's penis unless it's for a reason that we believe is truly best, not just to follow into a normal culture because my grandparents want me to do that. So like, I'm breaking that. I was aware that's happened to me. I accepted it's happened to me. And I can take action and talking about it and real and helping people realize maybe that's not necessary anymore to traumatize children right when they're and maybe it's not necessary to like what's in vaccines you know this is another normal thing that's happening I'm not all I'm asking is people to accept that if you have vaccines in you and if you contributed to giving people vaccines are you aware what's in those vaccines do you know why those ingredients are in there. And do you want to keep taking them once you learn about that rather than just doing it because you're supposed to get your child vaccinated? These are ways to break normal. Is this kind of answering your question? It, it totally does. I, I, you know, the, the vaccine thing and anything in that category, especially because, I mean, just that conversation, that debate is there's there's a left and there's a right. There's people who are against vaccines or people who are for vaccines. And then there's people in the middle who aren't, you know, I think those are probably the people who are breaking normal because what to, to be an anti-vaxxer is trying to create a new norm around nobody ever gets vaccinated, right? That's like the extreme end. And the other side is everybody gets vaccinated. Those are, those are more two lanes that are trying to create an established standard, which is insane to try and do for large swaths of people. And I, you, you brought up something interesting for me when you were talking about the kids in detention, because yeah, those are like the outcasts, right? Those are the bad eggs. And there's so much pressure to fit in. 
at every level of our development. Pressure to fit in as a kid in school. Pressure to fit in when you get out of college and try to find a job. Pressure to fit in so that you can find a relationship and get married and have a kid one day and then fit into that standardized idea of what it means to be a successful adult. You know, the the wife, the 2.5 kids, etc. But if we go back to that idea of, again, Dunbar's number, there's so many, there's what, eight plus billion people on this planet? You gotta, You can't tell me that all those people that feel like they're alone and unique, that there's not 149 other people that are just like them, that if they all found each other and got together, they actually would be like, Oh, okay. Wow. There's people who see the world the way I do. And all right. And this is why, you know, literally we're not around a fire, but we are around a fire. We're using, we are still using the arguably the most refined form of fire technology ever, Mm. ever right now, because I can push a button and I can communicate with you or millions of people anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. So I so love what you said because I trust that anyone that's listening to this podcast is understanding that fire is a tool or a weapon, depending on how it's being used and who's using it. And mm-hmm. they we're all, by contributing to listening to this, you're probably using a form of fire to listen to it. And then it's technology, electricity, all the, all the stuff. So are you using this tool, like you said, to, to upgrade your community, to find like, to, to, to me, that's a high calling of this technology to like realize that there are people that even though I might not see them around me, that might resonate at a, with me at such a high degree that we have such a strong synergy. It's vital to find them. And the internet allows me to connect with them so easily, even if they're not in the same place as me at the same time. Yeah. So thank mm-hmm. you for this. And what else comes with this technology? Shit. I mean, man, porn. You know, not everyone likes porn. Maybe a lot of people think porn is evil. I'm not sure if I'm going to call it that, but I know a lot of people have problems with porn. I know a lot of people have problems with social media. I know a lot of people have problems with spying on people's lives and living vicariously through them rather than putting their fucking phone down and going outside and living. And so, yeah, I trust that we're all using this fire right now that that we're gathered around in the best way possible and realizing it, it is a tool if we can use it as a tool. But if not, it could be a real weapon of once again, like mass hypnosis. It used to be a television for people. Now kids are growing up with phones. What's more addictive than a cell phone? I mean, I know parents used to be concerned about cigarettes. I think it'd be much easier for a child to smoke cigarettes for a week or a month and stop than use a phone for a week or a month and stop. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I definitely, I mean, I, I have small children. I mean, as, as much as we try to keep our phones away from them, it's like a magnet. And, it, and there's literally billions probably more than billions of dollars at this point being in, being dumped into how do how do we refine this technology so it makes people want to spend more time with it like they're not doing they're not doing the same thing with cigarettes like cigarette they pretty much like <laughs> max that out it's like okay well we can throw some chemicals in there get you addicted to it you know nicotine da 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 i mean the cell phone they're they're upgrading it every year yeah that's massively it's crazy and then that's so, how pow- it's very powerful that's what i'm just saying like we gotta i i want i am ready to even have more reverence for this device that i'm using right now like really this is sure. arguably the most powerful tool humanity has created mm-hmm. and i think it's very yeah, reflective and- of our own inner technology like i the more i learn about this phone and <laughs> what i can do with it the more i'm like wait can't i already do that that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Well, for instance, this whole algorithm is based on like what you're searching for, for what ads to hit me. It's uh-huh. kind of like a reflection of the law of attraction and seeing what I'm looking for. It's almost amplifying that. It's like, it's like I can't tell if it's leveraging the law of attraction or if it is the law. <laughs> it's like this is law of like, a, like what I put my attention, like where my attention goes, energy flows. So not only mm-hmm. if I talk about, you know, having buying a freezer to polar plunge in that right now on this phone, that more likely I'll see an ad to, for a freezer later. Mm-hmm. But actually, the more time I think about getting a freezer or polar plunge in, the more likely I'm going to see things that are going to lead me to get it, even if I didn't have my phone. Sure. So I, it's yeah. like, it's all very suspicious. And us being able to communicate, you know, how we are, like you said, the hundredth monkey. You know, we might be Mm -hmm. in communication if we put our phone down. (laughs) Maybe we could learn Mm -hmm. the subtleties of how we're already in communication if we didn't use our phones as much. I don't know. I don't know. But it gets me questioning that. Like, wow. And because it's created by man. So this all, this whole thing came from the man's mind. Yeah. And I think what you said before about fire, it can either be a tool or a weapon, you know, like that's, that's true about everything, right? It's all about how we use it, how we leverage it. And 
that's that's a whole nother conversation. I'm really interested in that. And I'm just thinking about, I'm thinking about all the guys who are listening and also women who've been listening to this podcast too, you know, all, but all, all the listeners right now who are hearing you and I go back and forth and riffing on our perspectives of the world and the way that we believe we can progress, what we can progress into, even the fact that you and I are both fathers. You know, I know that you and I are both thinking about what are we actually setting up our kids for? What are we setting them up to do? What do you what do you have to say to the to the people out there who are considering this idea that we're talking about here? This am I contributing to the normal? Am I really listening to a values based system that comes from within versus without, and wanting to move that forward? I feel like when I when I put myself in a healthy position, when I put myself in the way in the way. For instance, this morning I went to the creek that is kind of dumping into Boulder upstream from the town of Boulder on purpose. I do my breath work there. That's super. I did bra- I did my breathing. I did my chanting in the water. I did this bouncing for like five minutes while listening to music. And I just had while doing all that because this is like a, a non-negotiable of the sorts that I'm committed to because I believe it's so supercharging to my um, being that I'm residing in. That while doing that, I had just like a subtle hunch that I wanted to go learn about van conversion, like uh, like getting looking into a van conversion home. And I know Boulder has quite a bit of companies, one that I might be know about. So I was thinking, I'll I'll go there today. I'm gonna go there today. And when I walk up after right when I made that decision, I see a converted van that just looks so epic, like an epic <laughs> converted van. So I'm like, hmm. You know, this is sometimes where my mind might have an idea, but I'm following my body. My mind had this idea of a converted band and all of a sudden my body seeing a converted band. So I went to go talk mm-hmm. to the guy. Synchronicity after synchronicity. Next thing we know, we're having coffee. At the coffee shop, next thing I know, I, there's a girl that I want to podcast with that runs a huge food blog. She's there. And then I go home and, and drop that guy off and I'm here now. What I did was like, I feel like by allowing my body to flow energy freely through like breath work, cold water, sleeping well, leveraging my environment to my advantage, I get more in tune with the subtlety that's coming from like a heartbeat, like a different, like a lightness and like a butterfly. I feel like a but like, oh, that's a butterfly heart idea. Like, like that idea makes my heart feel like a butterfly. Like, oh yeah, I want to go look into the van conversion. That's what I want to do right now. Let's go do it. And then by doing, yeah. following that breadcrumb from whatever creates my heartbeat, I feel like that's not normal. It's, if I, I wasn't a normal day, but it was such a fulfilling, exciting, like I feel like I'm in the game of life type of day. That's how I do it. That's how I did it today. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's, I think that's really, I don't know if it's the cure, but I think it's definitely one of them or part of the cure to a lot of the vices and the escape routes that we have in our lives, you know, addictions to substances, social media, cell phones, all that stuff it has a lot to do with looking for some sort of short-term excitement to keep our brain on board. Like, okay, this this little dose of whatever I'm getting a dopamine hit is, is like, okay, well, let, let's keep going then. But when you, when you wake up and you have a day, like you just described, that is entirely led by your intuition, and I, I think also just a harmony between your mind and your heart and your guts – that it, all all the desires to escape that kind of life go away. It's like, well, no, I want I want more of this. Like, what else? What's what's next? I don't, I don't want to go escape from this. I want to go deeper into it. What I'm experiencing right now, and I know that there's guys who are hearing you talk about this day you just had that are like, yeah, Daniel, that sounds great, but who's gonna watch the kids? Who I gotta go to work today. I gotta you know clean the yard. Like, <laughs> I know there's I know there's guys who are thinking that as you're as you're speaking. Yeah, well, I would think of that. My suggestion to that one, firstly, is that come up with a non-negotiable. I'm a big believer in this. Like when I was going, when I realized I was going through a divorce, when that really hit my body, I sought mm-hmm. counsel with people that I think could truly lead me in a better direction if I was feeling disoriented. And one of my friends, Jeff Patterson, actually, he has a new book coming out. I don't know when's it coming out, but he suggested me, he asked me actually, what's one thing you're going to do that's going to contribute to your health every day? Uh, like, I didn't want you to choose thing, one thing right now that I want you to do every day. I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, I thought about that. I even thought about like the cold water, but I'm like, man, what if I'm not at a place where I can get cold water or if I don't have the freezer? And I just started committed to breath work. And that's what I would say, do commit to something that's a non-negotiable, supercharging practice for you so that you can tune into the voice of God before you get distracted by the people or whatever else is going around you. 
yeah. that's what I would say to that. And then for the vice thing, you know, man, I, in addictions, like I, I, I tend to lead, agree with you that I, I don't, I think every, like so many people, addictions are not only to, I know people addicted to sobriety. I know people addicted to sobriety. Let's put it that way. And mm. I would say it's a good addiction. It's a pretty good mm. addiction. I know people that are addicted to telling you the truth. I know people, you know, an addiction, if you define it as an addiction of something you, people are wanting to stop and they keep doing it, that's a different story. But I like, you know, I smoke cannabis today and tobacco. I'm drinking a beer now. I had coffee. Like these are things that I do know when I stop them, I noticed that I stopped them. Are they addictions? I'm highly fascinated by that conversation. Mm. I just don't know what I'm not. I don't know what I'm addicted to or what I'm not addicted to. This is kind of a yeah. trippy, trippy conversation for me because I've done yeah, things well, like where I cut things out for a moon cycle. And yeah. so I did that. Does that mean I don't have an addiction or, <laughs> you know? Well, it's, it's interesting because I've, uh, in fact, I was just, I just did like one of those Monday episodes that I do where it's just me talking about vices. And I realized that vices, addictions, the things that I decided really don't serve me, but I still had an inclination towards on either a mental or emotional or physical level that they started to go away when I was more committed to other things in my life. So for example, I used to be a habitual pot smoker and there's no way I could function in my life anymore as a husband, as a father, as a business owner, you know, any of that stuff by smoking weed all day. That It just wouldn't work for me. Some people can still do that, but it didn't work for me anymore. And that's why, that's when I started to see the ratio start to decrease in a real way. Cause previous to getting married, having a family, I would try and I would, I would be able to resign myself to stop doing it for a period of time but I didn't really want to. And I, I've come to believe that people, especially men, we always do what we want to do. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I want to quit smoking or I want to start a business. But I don't really care about what you say you want to do. I'll, I'll just look at what you're doing because that's really what you want to do. Mm-hmm. The other stuff is just like a, a goal. It's a dream. Uh, yeah, I hear that. I hear that. I love people that walk and talk. I, I've, I've met yeah. people that talk a lot and talk a lot and they only do everything they talked about. And, but man, when someone that's to me, I, I, that's what I'm saying. That's like how I, same way I see, like I imagine the bee sees the hot, the potential hive. If I want to judge someone or form an opinion about someone. And I think we all, I think we're all forming opinions. So that's what I mean by judging. Right. I don't mean condemning, but if I want to form an opinion about you, I'll, yeah, I'll probably look at what you do. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing your life? Yeah. And also, I think that's also an interesting part because I know a lot of people, there's a lot of shame wrapped up in addiction, especially when we're experiencing those external and internal judgments about something that we're choosing to do to ourselves, for ourselves, that what does that really serve at the end of the day? I still haven't yet found a use of, for that, for that energy that goes along with shame or guilt. Other than to just be an, an indication of, hey, this is something that needs to be addressed because there's an incongruency in your body. I, I'm not sure if you found a use for shame or if you see shame in, in a different light than I do. Yeah, I mean, I, I can. Like, I feel like I've, out of all emotions that may be shadowy, that could have been inherited ancestrally, I imagine I guilt, not shame, but guilt is one that I've experienced and that I'm experienced with. And so at our retreats, what I would explain to people is I'm an expert at navigating guilt. So if um, someone is having an issue where they're feeling uh, debilitated by guilt, Mm. or if they're feeling slower or lower or down because of it, maybe I can contribute. Mm -hmm. And my brother, he would, his was jealousy, you know, and we would do this exercise where we would find out what experts are, what, where, what emotions that most people are looked down upon, which ones might we be experts upon, uh, experts in those so that we can support each other and finding more light in the feeling of guilt or shame or whatever it is, ideas. So if I, so just really quick, if I'm hearing you, you're saying that you're, you, you're an expert in guilt because you know how to help other people. No, because I that. think I've felt guilty. I've, so for instance, let's say I've drank two beers most nights for a long time, but mm-hmm. then, you know, I've cut, like I said, I've, I've cut it. I've done experiments of not doing that. It's interesting. Like I really feel like I enjoy that and I really love it. And the guilt, what does the guilt do for me? If I, I feel like there's sometimes a residual guilt about that habit. And what I, th- what I trust, one thing that I know it's doing for me, it's preventing me from drinking too much too often. Mm. It's, it's, it's definitely catalyzing me and keeping the understanding that the medicine's in the poison and the poison's in the dose. 
mm. the poisons and the dose. It's helping me the guilt, the guilt somehow. What I would, what I imagine people feel is guilt and think is guilt. Sometimes that like, keeps me in check. It's like a, a, a so I'm saying so I'm staying thriving. I don't know. That's an, that's an idea that I've tossed around. And for the jealousy, yeah. you know, a lot of people struggle with jealousy. A lot of people struggle with a yeah. lot of jealousy. And my brother, he apparently struggled with that a lot, a lot more than he does now. A lot when he was mm-hmm. younger and, and he feels very free from it. But by him experiencing that jealousy for so long and then finding a way from him, for him to liberate himself from it, he is an expert at catalyzing others and liberating themselves from jealousy. So I think it's good to remember that wisdom. Like if someone, you know, what is guilt or shame? Maybe you're going to, maybe you're, you're training yourself to help another part of yourself known as a brother or a mother or a sister. Who knows? Yeah, I like that. And I think that's, that's a good piece of wisdom that anybody can come back to. I think for any challenge or obstacle that we're going through in life that I was just listening to Aubrey Marcus the other day. He was interviewing somebody that I knew and they they ended up talking about, they were talking about plant medicines and ceremonies and how going through that darkness and that discomfort, the, the utility of that. And that when we get into these depressed states, that one of the most simple ways out of it is to go and be of service. And I think if you're in a dark and, and depressed state, if there's if there's no other reason to find your way back into wholeness or lightness other than to be able to give that back to someone someday, at least you always have that. I think everybody I've ever met who wasn't completely just traumatized to the point of distrusting people entirely always found some value and benefit and uplift from helping someone, even if it's simple, even if it's just like helping somebody cross the street. I, yeah, I totally agree. That's another great remedy. Yeah. Like when in the idea of when in need, plant a seed. And I do think that that when someone feels like if someone was experiencing this listening right now, that they feel like they're being like, Oh, the guilt, they're overridden by guilt or they don't know what to do with guilt. Maybe go help someone else that's feeling guilty and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See what happens. Even if it's just leveling and saying like, hey, are you experiencing this? Because I, I know I am. Can we relate to each other and at least let the weight of that feeling not be so heavy? Because that's that's the one thing I find, especially with men, is because of the way we've guarded ourselves, because of the way we've learned to armor up, throw the mask on, hide our feelings, su- suppress it all. We've, we we start to believe that nobody else is experiencing what I'm experiencing. And as soon as that veil is removed and that belief is completely demolished, wholeness and happiness begins to return because all of a sudden I'm not the outcast I thought I was. I'm actually a part of a circle of other people who can relate to my experience. And boom, healing, like instant. I've seen people go from zero to a hundred in the span of 30 minutes of just listening and being heard from a truthful place. It, It can be that simple. Well, that's something that we, def- maybe that's one of the things we share in common. We've seen that too often not to realize that. I mean, so oh, much yeah. so that I used to have a bus and it was on the back. It was what's most personal is most universal. And hmm. I hear what you're saying. I do also another just two liner to maybe help people remember that sometimes a sorrow shared is a sorrow half and a joy shared is a joy doubled. And I feel like there's mm-hmm. lots of cool stories around that. I mean, I remember that book Into the Wild with Alexander Supertramp. And, you know, I think one of his final ideas that was written was like happiness is not real unless it's shared something along those lines. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, we are social creatures. So just like if I got a goat, I wouldn't get one. I would get at least two. <laughs> and humans, yeah. like, yeah, we are we're con- we're more connected than I think most people think. <laughs> And we can really find solace and counsel when we open our hearts and let down our guards and find at least one person to share those super personal wonderings or secrets or whatever they are. Right on, man. Well, I'm, I'm totally with you. And, and man, 45 minutes goes by really quick. We're just about at time here. But there's a couple of quick questions I want to fire off that we can squeeze <laughs> yeah, into awesome. these last five, last five minutes here. So because you and I are both men who believe in community and collaborative lifestyle, I've got a few questions around that for you to just fire oh, off. I'm so to hear them. Yeah. So, so first one is, what is the biggest misconception about community living, communal living? Okay. So I would say that I think... Most people go into it thinking like they can, like, it's all a cuddle puddle. It's all a cuddle puddle. 
And I would yeah. say that, you know, what makes those cuddle puddles the best is when the boundary, the stronger the boundaries, the stronger the cuddle puddles. And I mean that not literally, I mean that metaphorically in so many ways, like boundaries, 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 like learning how to put my, like just, uh, you know how this helps uh, hanging out with a pit bull puppy, hanging out with a pit bull puppy or a wild animal. I think people that want to build community need to understand how, how to hang out with wild animals. And horses, right. mustangs, like if you can find must, like wild animals, basically, you gotta, you gotta, because they'll reflect the truth of where boundaries need to be put up. And I think some people think it's like all unicorns, rainbows, and butterflies to live in a house with a bunch of people, but that can be the case if those boundaries are up as well. Sure. Sure. That's, that's a great one, man. That's a whole nother episode right there. And, and maybe you answered the next question because the next question was, what is one of the most important things to have in place in order to have a thriving community? Yeah, I know. Well, I, yeah, I do agree those boundaries. And then I would say also a place where I, there's a great book called Culture Code that has studied what helps communities thrive or tribes or groups thrive versus what deteriorates them. One of the most amazing things is touch, like just being in it. Like if you're going to live in community, it, as hard as it might be to live in one place, like there is such a gift and beauty to being able to be around people within five feet of them, to touch them, to hug them, to have a variety of people to wrestle with, to play with. Like whether even there's sports teams, there's sports teams that and if you look at the statistics, I've heard this crazy study recently, the sports teams that perform the best touch each other the most. Whether it was butt slaps, whatever it was, they were touching high fives. So I, I think that as well, not only having the boundaries, but also not being afraid to be physical with each other. Oh, yeah, man. Well, interesting how everyone across the world is being asked to stay six feet oh, apart Oh, that's now, scary. Right? That's I mean, not, not, and, block, and block their airflow. <laughs> Oh my goodness, right? Yeah, like deoxygenate yourself and stay far away from other people. <laughs> Arguably two of the greatest gifts of being human, breathing and touch. Oh my goodness. Well, again, yeah, let's let's not go down that rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess the last thing about community and communal living, what do you think is the most the most critical thing for all of us as a global community to understand about living together? We are meant to live together. We are, like, I know we live in this, I'm looking at this, in my, I'm just going to be blunt, this stupid neighborhood with these huge ass houses that probably two to four people live with an average. And I bet even though there's probably two to 400 people here, I bet their neighbors only know two to four of them. And that's because for some reason they thought they would probably deal with less stress if they built their own box and hid themselves from the community and only saw them when it was appropriate, when they had their mask on and put it up and all that bullshit. So yeah, I think that we're meant to be a community and let's mm -hmm. stop settling for the surface community of scrolling on each other's feeds. And like I said, get in touch with each other where we're literally touching each other, wrestling each other, hugging each other and knowing each other's deepest, darkest secrets out loud and proud. If we can find a communities like that, I, 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 would, I feel confident to encourage people yeah. to do that. Yeah, man. I, I, I can confirm it too. You know, I've, I've been living on this piece of land. I live here now for just over a month and it was amazing how instantaneous the quality of living changed. And it's, it, there's the, there's the obvious big picture things, you know, I'm surrounded by redwood trees. It's more quiet. You know, I'm, I'm feel more peaceful just being in relationship with the land, but even it's the simple things that really make the difference, you know, seeing one of my friends just kind of walk past my house and waving to him in the morning or having someone knock on the door and say, oh, who is that? Oh, that's one of our friends. What's up? Oh, you just wanted to say, hey, great. How's it going today? And, and to sparking into a spontaneous conversation that just on a, on, an, on a subtle level reminds me that we're connected. It's not about what we're saying. It's just, oh, yeah, you're here. I'm here. I see you. I'm seen. Now I can carry on with my day. And it's not just me, my wife, my children are feeling it too. So I already knew that this was something important. And the fact that I'm experiencing it now, it's just driven that belief so far down into my bones that it's it's not non-negotiable, non-negotiable. <laughs> yeah, that is. And it's so refreshing to hear that just based on like, if I can find a golden thread of our conversation about like the addiction slash distraction and being epitomized in the form of devices, but yeah, hanging when I hang out with people, I much I don't want to hang out on my phone as much. Oh, yeah. So that's a great way <laughs> of keeping that potential addiction in balance and in check. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I and actually and for any kind of thing that I might judge as advice, a lot of times as if I'm more seen by more people, 
the more I see myself and the less I need to distract myself from whatever I'm experiencing. So yeah, I'm a huge, I'm, I'm happy. We're such a huge believer in that. And I think, yeah, we're, uh, it's time, it's time to really take action on how to contribute to this cause of getting people back in true community rather than this virtual civilization. Mm. Yeah, man. Well, I look forward to that conversation between you and I and all of our relatives around us continuing past this podcast. But for what we captured here in this past 45 minutes, man, I'm really grateful, really grateful to see that you're continuing to do your work and to live your truth and breaking down those normal barriers that <laughs> whoever established those, you know, just walking around. I picture you just walking around with a sledgehammer and just knocking down those boundaries everywhere you go. So uh, I appreciate you doing that, man. And grateful to know you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. My friend, one of my friends, he would, he kind of accused me of the same thing at our, a lot of our retreats <laughs> and he would tell people though, cause a lot of people get triggered, you know, with certain things that we were doing, which was kind of the point. <laughs> he would explain to people, yeah, sometimes the one that goes to the wall first gets the bloodiest. And I want you all to remember that with what Daniel's doing right now. <laughs> he would like give that disclaimer sometimes. So yeah. I, yeah, and same for you. Same for you. And I'm excited for us to do it together. Yes, bro. Yes, bro. Well, blessings to you on your journey. And yeah, man, keep doing the good work. We'll catch up again a little further down the road and exchange exchange our observations. Yes, much love to you. Thanks again. All right, fam, I hope you enjoyed that episode today. Remember that all the opportunities out there to become a bigger part of the Rising Man community are over at risingman.org. Get yourself signed up for one of our fire circle teams today or take a bigger leap into Inferno and jump on the next round we have coming up in just about six weeks with me or sign up to join us on our fall compass four-day wilderness initiation fast. All the opportunities that you have there are incredible. They will definitely challenge you to bring out the greatest version of you. So go check it out today. All the show notes for links and resources are also at risingman.org. Please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel too, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. It's where all of our videos for Monday morning meditations and a bunch of other content that we've been creating is going up there. So go check that out if you haven't yet and subscribe there as well. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement if you don't already to get those clips and those little content bits each and every week. And make sure that you guys are sharing that up with your communities too, because that's the way we spread this message. That's the way for you to do your part in spreading the Rising Man mission. Shout out to my power team, Sean, Julian, Ryan, Mark, and Rowan. And everybody else out there, I really do appreciate every one of you guys so much. There's no way that any of this would be possible without the community that we've been building. So let's keep going. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. Thank you.